I'm here today with Maya Horgan Famadou of Ingressive Capital. Hi, Maya. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me today. Of course. Well, Maya's story is one of my favorite stories in all of venture capital because uh, I saw Maya at her first pitch at South by Southwest. What year was it? 2014, I think. Yeah. 2014. And you were 23, 24? 23. Yeah. And you're like, I'm going to start a VC fund in sub-Saharan Africa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and you've done it. I think I told you, by the way, at the time to get a job. Like, why don't you get a job first? Yeah, you 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 definitely did. You were like, you know, my I think the best thing for you would be to go into consulting, maybe get a nice job, you know, have a regular salary, something like that. I was like, you know, I don't think that's the future. I I I stand absolutely happy that I was wrong, and you were very smart to ignore my advice. And uh, you know, I think that's just the dad in me. I was like, I was like nervous for you. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? So give us quickly, you know, high level, uh, you know, the story of creating going from 23 years old South by Southwest with nothing but a pitch to actually having a VC fund in Sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah. So it was a, it was a very smooth ride with no, <laughs> you know, breaks or hardships or no, it took like how many years? Yeah. Um, it took definitely from the time. So at that time I had initially wanted to raise a $50 million fund. And, uh, when I realized that with about a year of work experience post-grad, that probably wouldn't be my immediate future, I, you know, shopped that idea to a few investors, not gotten terribly far. And so ingressive advisory, which was some at the time I was figuring out it was an iteration of a crowdfunding platform mixed with, you know, an advisory firm and, um, and, uh, you know, but I realized we had to start with where would I find investors that were that had a high risk tolerance for the highest, highest risk VC industry in the world. And uh, <laughs> I found them in Silicon Valley. I literally was going door to door, knocking on VC funds doors, um, trying to get them to invest in the fund. And then eventually, um, after six months of convincing investors, and this is 2014, like now it makes sense that there are deals in, in Africa. Now it's, you know, Africa's sexy, it's trending, billion dollar exits, Stripe acquiring things left and right. That back then in 2014, the questions were more, do Africans even have internet or, you know, developers in Africa, is that really gonna be a thing, you know? And so it took a lot of informing, a lot of teaching um, about the opportunity that existed on the continent and people kind of, you know, half of investors were just like, this girl won't leave me alone. And so I'm just gonna come to Nigeria so she gets off my back. And the other ones were like, maybe there is something. She's so obsessed with this opportunity. Maybe she has an idea of what's happening in the future. And so from that, um, after six months of persuading a, a, our first cohort of investors to come to Nigeria and check out opportunities, we had, you know, Jason Seeds, who's the CIO of, of Techstars. We had guys from 500 startups and all these other firms. Um, and, and then we brought them to Nigeria, showcased investment opportunities, and they actually closed. Like we actually had investors commit capital to investments in Nigeria. And that business, we, we you know, kept doing trips over time, worked with Y Combinator, 500, Techstars, all these, you know, New Relic, GitHub, Figma, across the board of, of VC funds and technology companies. 
ranging from, you know, till date, we've had 50 clients with the advisory firm and they've made over 50 investments in Nigeria alone. And in 2017, after they've had three years of data points of saying, okay, she actually knows what she's talking about. We've made some money. Um, finally, in 2017, they commit capital to our actual fund, which over the, the two and a half years from there, we raised $10 million as I was closing LPAs as I was deploying capital, like literally like just don't even wire me the money, send it directly to the startup over the next two years. And uh -huh. then, um, Last year, we launched our nonprofit so we could really control the supply of, of technical talent coming out of the ecosystem as well as um, founders. And so we're in every major university in Nigeria sponsoring part of their computer science programs, giving out laptops and data to African youth. We just launched a 30,000 member technical training cohort, um, uh, I think last week, and a thousand scholarships for women to learn design. And uh, last time we did our, our training cohort, there was 80% employment upon graduation. So really, really, you know, high quality technical talent. Tell me like, so you, how many investors do you think you talked to to get to that $10 million fund? Yeah, so I think um, direct conversation. So, I mean, I, I, infinite emails. I'm not, not even relevant how many emails I've sent out. Um, but as far as direct conversations, um, uh, probably close to a thousand for fund one. And then I did likely around 400, like about 350 to 400 actual pitches, like sitting in a room in front of someone or like, you know, over Zoom meeting back in the day when people met in person. Um, yeah, about 350 to 400 actual meeting pitches. And then from there we have um, now 40 investors in fund one. That's awesome. And I'm one of them. Yes. yes. Yeah. So. Tell me, um, I want to talk a little bit about like mental toughness because like, you know, people really suffer, uh, you know, when they're raising their first fund and, you know, you, you have the record for the number of investors so far uh, in this, uh, 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 you know, video podcast, um, uh, Fika was close 600 for Fika, by the way, in their Eva Ho and, and her fund. But, um, how do you handle all the rejection and what kept you going? Yeah, I mean, um, I think I learned from a, a very early time. I'm so committed to this cause that we're focusing on, you know, ensuring that every African on the continent, regardless of background and where they're from, have the resources they need to build wildly scalable businesses. And I think there's something so deep, you know, I grew up in a trailer park in rural Minnesota, you know, struggling to struggling in any in every capacity and realizing despite my own intelligence and my own capacity, forces outside of my control limited me from, from getting to where I wanted to go, even at a young age. And that limitation of access, it, it was such an experience for me that I really, I cannot handle people going through that as well. And, and also being half Nigerian and having family from there and understanding the incredible resilience of the African entrepreneur, like just even to, 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 to wake up in the morning, having to deal with issues of power and connectivity and you know financial infrastructure and all of these things. Really, it's it's so deeply in my core, something that, you know, I was working at, at an advisory firm and back at JP Morgan, and I couldn't sleep at night. I couldn't eat. All I was talking about was tech in Africa. Like, you know, back from the beginning, I was obsessed. There was nothing else that could be done. And so when when you find that purpose to which you are are unwaveringly committed, you can be relentless, relentless in your commitment to it. And so um, I think that was just one of the ways that that manifested like each time i had um um a meeting and, and not personalizing it realizing like i was i'm simply 
a person in a, I'm simply a warrior for this cause. I'm simply another person that's, that's actively contributing to the development of the ecosystem and to the development of the continent. And it has nothing to do with me. And also taking it a step back and looking at the practical numbers as in, okay, if I'm going to close one in 10 and probably at the beginning of the fund, maybe closing one in 30, it was just a numbers game. Okay, cool. Got one rejection, probably going to have 20 more. And then I'm going to get a yes. And so instead of looking at it, like, I failed or this or that, just seeing it as simply a numbers game to get to my end goal. And then also in each one of my investor conversations, realizing that I'm having an hour, two hours, or you know, sometimes more with somebody who's an expert, who's been engaging with people in this way, in this capacity for so long, and I can take tangible advice. Obviously don't have to listen to every everything everyone says. I mean, I gotta stick with my fundamentals, but um, really allowing the opportunity to, to have essentially consulting sessions with people to whom I'm also pitching but being able to take something tangibly from each one of those meetings with them. And if not, you know, a piece of advice, then maybe they, they're connected to someone or at least an opportunity to expand my network in some way or develop a new, a new friendship or relationship. Did you, did you consider it ever stopping? No, <laughs> no. And, um, um, I, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think the only thing that I had considered was pivoting. This, this is absolutely, you know, n really nobody's done this before. Like me, when we were bringing investors from the U S and, and elsewhere, and also like driving venture capital dollars to the ecosystem, like in 2016, there was only $129 million that came into the whole continent. And then, you know, last year we had um, our very first portfolio company sold for 200, uh, 200 million plus, And like, there were multiple billion dollars about 4 billion plus, including the IPOs that happened last year. So $129 million in 2016. Imagine how little capital there was in 2014, 2015 when we started. Probably like $5, $10 million coming into the whole African continent. So like really starting from scratch. <laughs> and so, um, you know, what's it like being in Nigeria, you know, sort of as a venture capitalist? Like, you know, how, how, tell us how this, the ecosystem is different than it is here. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly like I mentioned, you know, 2016, 129 million, 2017, there was about 560 million, 2018, 1.2 billion, 2019, 2.2, last year, 4, 4, 4 billion plus. So every year it's about a 2x in VC dollar growth. So every time I come home from, you know, fundraising travels or, or what have you, there's there's an, a material difference in the way that the ecosystem appears and the opportunities that exist. Like the growth is incredible. Um, and, and so that as one, and then two, it's, it's so great. Like I, I, all I, I can't, I can't compare it to anything else. You know, in other ecosystems I go to, we're dealing with issues like, ah, my internet's slow today. Or like, yeah, I don't like having subway for lunch. This sucks, you know, but on the continent, it's like regulators materially transforming a whole industry overnight because of their lack of understanding of how, you know, technology works, or, you know, you're trying to build your business and you, and the, the central grid go, close, or shuts down and you have to figure out how to get a generator. And there's also a fuel shortage. So then you can't get the diesel to put in and then you're offline, you know, so having to solve for before you even think of your business and customers, having to solve for a thousand things and still be able to build wildly scalable businesses. There's, there's this incredible, I keep seeing it, saying it, the resilience, the steadfastness, the just ingenuity, because at every point in time, you're going to come up with, with a boundary and an issue. And the way that the entrepreneurs we work with, and, and frankly, Nigerians at large and Africans at large, just come up to these barriers and like, boop, hop right around it and continue on their merry way. And it's never a thing of like, woe is me. Oh, this, you know, this terrible thing. It's just like, oh, great. Okay. Uh, it, it, it's an automatic brainstorming session a hundred times a day, which is, it's, it's fascinating. That's great. So tell me, um, is there any sort of 
understanding or learning that you have from you know how you found the people that said yes it was it who introduced you was it the kind of person they were you know it's a little of a needle in the haystack game and you know what have you learned about your value proposition over time yeah so as far as on the first half of, of um how getting to the yes um a few things um one it was certainly so the way that our that our that our fund developed. I mean, typically people are like, oh, you need your big, your large ticket anchor investor. And then you, you, you know, they set your LPA terms and then you go from there. And, you know, I've seen founders do it the same way that we, we have done. And though it's not market, it's not, you know, traditional, it's, it's absolutely above board and it's absolutely, it's be increasingly becoming a, a common um, activity that we're seeing. And that's, you can literally shop your own LPA and sign a bunch of smaller tickets until they become cumulatively the size of an anchor and then go into the bigger ticket LPs. Like with us, all of our institutional investors, we have the Nigerian Sovereign Investment Authority, like we're one of, if not the first VC they've ever backed in history. They were our very last investor, not our first investor. Our first investors were $50,000, $100,000 ticket sizes where, you know, we crafted the LPA together or like I had, you know, our, our legal you know, define the, the, the LPA terms and the sub docs, et cetera. And then we shared them with all of these different smaller ticket friends and family, and then former clients from the advisory firm. And together, you know, there were a couple million dollars. Um, so, so as far as sort of non-traditional ways to get to the yes, you can start with your friends and family and just look at it as a cumulative um, anchor, essentially. How did you manage this sort of inherent, um, you know, challenge like when you have markups and then you have previous investors who were there, but then you're still fundraising against the markups, you know, did, did you get any pushback on that? Um, no, because our initial investors, um, one, they understood the benefit of having those larger institutional investors on board. And, you know, cause like the sovereign wealth fund and, and some of our other institutional investors will co-invest directly in deals with us. And, and, and Africa's sexy and it's trending right now, but who knows what's gonna happen in two years. So it was essential for us to have large ticket LPs who had vested interest in the success of our companies um, and ensure that they were uh, invested with us. And so um, the, the, our initial angel investors were completely okay and also i personally had taken the profits from our advisory firm invested them in deals and then when we launched the fund rolled those into the fund at cost and so it was like i did it so you're doing it and then so that we can have you know the the, the best interest for all or for the collective if you did it all again and thank god you'll never have to do it again but like what would you do differently um a few things i think that i would not spend so much time um, trying to convert people who had no understanding of what was going on in Africa. I did. I started from scratch and people were like, ah, Africa is a big jungle and there's not even any power there. You know, starting from those and having to work through those conversations that took me like nine to 12 months to really convert into investors or clients. But now it's like, if you don't understand, I don't, I, I don't need to have these conversations with you. There are enough people who have either that open-mindedness we're like, sure, let's take the, uh, let's take that opportunity or the people who have enough information and are actively seeking this. So, so as opposed to trying to like force and to, to sort of change the tides, being able to just go with the flow and find the people who are, are already in the space to be interested in an easy convert. That's great. Uh, any other sort of, you know, hacks or tactics you, you think that people ought to know if they're starting new funds? Yeah. So, so with, with our fund, um, and which, you know, everyone knows, or I guess people generally 
ought to know is there are three parts to it that are, well, four parts to it that are the most important. There's the deal sourcing part of it. There's the investment process, like actually getting the deal done, being kind to the founders and, you know, wiring the money within 24 hours of closing, you know, signing docs, et cetera. There's the portfolio support side of it and there's the LP correspondent side of it. And if really, if you can focus on ensuring that you have key talent in-house that focuses on each one of those, that's really the key to success. And so I think it took us a long time to really figure out even what is important in a VC fund like what even should we be focusing on because i never worked in vc before launching one and like back like the story is i just wanted to be an analyst and no one would hire me and so i was like you know what i'm just gonna do this like there, there was a time when when i did just want to be a venture partner or an analyst like while running the advisory company and i couldn't get in and so it was like it's time for me to start my own um so definitely really understanding the importance of each one of those parts and really from the very beginning, understanding your competitive advantage. Like why is your firm uniquely positioned to add special value, totally unique value to your portfolio companies and really considering yourself as a, you know, providing a product or service to the founders. Cause I, I, you know, what sets us apart in the ecosystem is we're just respectful and kind to founders and look at them as somebody that for, for whom we like, we work for them. Like we are providing a service to them. And like, if they don't like us anymore, then we are out of business. And so just just how we laser focus on portfolio support, how we get all of our even limited partners to be adding values direct, value directly to our portfolio companies and how we think through, like you you position the, 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 the negotiations, the dynamic, the relationship entirely differently if you're seeing them as your own customer. That's great. Maya, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. It's great to see you. I'm super proud of you and I uh, look forward to seeing many more years of amazing stuff out of you. Thank you very much.